Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. What does the Bible say about the Lord's Day? Now, there are a number of issues that are important to deal with on this particular topic, so I plan on taking a few parts to answer this question. Um, A few things that we're going to discuss include Uh, What does the Bible say about the Lord's Day in terms of it continuing? Has the fourth commandment been abrogated? Has it gone away? Uh, And and if not, is the practice of the Lord's Day the continuation of the keeping of the Sabbath in the Old Testament? Uh, Second, has the day really changed? Uh, What does the Bible say about the change of day with regard to the Sabbath? And then thirdly, uh, another important topic to discuss is how does the Bible teach that the Lord's Day ought to be kept? So two particular issues that are important here include uh, leisure um, and the uh, recreation clause, so to speak, in the Westminster Standards. Is that something that the Bible, in fact, teaches? Uh, And then secondly, um, what about causing other people to work? Um, And then there may be some other pastoral things to discuss with regard to implementing these things and uh, difficult situations. And so we'll be tackling all these things uh, in the course of the next few parts with regard to what does the Bible say about the Lord's Day. Now, the first one is, is the Lord's Day even something that the Bible commands to be kept? Or or to put it in a different way, is the Sabbath and the observance of the Sabbath Sabbath still an obligation on the Christian? What does the Bible say about that? The reason this is important is because there are some who will say that the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, has been abrogated. And that's just a a fancy word to say that it's gone away. It's been done away with. It's abolished. It's no longer uh, necessary for the Christian to keep the Sabbath. Um, And the question is, is this something that the scriptures, in fact, do uh, teach? Now, we're going to answer that question by looking at a few things. First is the uh, the inauguration of the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2. Now, it's important to, to note that uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, uh, God institutes the Sabbath. He uh, he uh, brings it forward as the, the, the final completion of uh, his great work of creation in the first six days. Uh, God creates all things, and on the seventh day, he rests. And this resting from his labors uh, ends up being the grounds and the basis for the keeping of the Sabbath. And so this is an important thing to keep uh, in mind, that um, the observance of the Sabbath is actually a creation ordinance. It's not, in fact, um, something that is uh, a law that was added even in the time of Moses. It was something that was uh, begun, instituted on the basis of creation itself. And this, in and of itself, then does provide a good grounds and basis for us thinking that the Sabbath observance would continue. Uh, if it is rooted in creation itself, it's even pre-fall in this way. The observance of the Sabbath uh, begins pre-fall. Uh, and even even as we think about the way in which Genesis chapter 2 works in terms of its relationship to the rest of uh, Genesis chapter 1, and the, the way the Sabbath seventh day relates to the first six days, uh, the, the, the flow of the narrative indicates that uh, Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 is the goal of all of creation. The reason why God had created all things, you know, there's a particular uh, uh, earth-centered uh, nature to creation. Everything centers on the earth, not on any of the other planets, not on anything else in the solar system. Uh, it centers on the earth. Then it, it gets narrowed down to man who's made in the image of God. Uh, and the purpose of God making man in his image and putting him on the earth 
uh, is so that he could then have Sabbath fellowship with him. And that's instituted then in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and is again is instituted even before uh, the fall. And the way that we can even know further that this was in fact something that was practiced, that it is wasn't just that God himself rested, but then didn't require mankind to rest or didn't give the Sabbath as a benefit to mankind to rest. Uh, the, the way that we can know that it actually was from the very beginning, even from Genesis chapter 2, uh, an obligation for man to rest and that he actually enjoyed the Sabbath rest uh, with God is indicated uh, even uh, in Exodus 16, where there are regulations about how the Sabbath ought to be kept and instructions with regard to the manna, which comes, which falls before the people of God get to Mount Sinai. Uh, and there are instructions with regard to, you know, there being a double portion given on Friday so that on Saturday, on the Sabbath, uh, no one would have to, to work to gather the, the manna. It would just simply be there. Uh, that indicates that the Sabbath legislation was already in place. And the reason this is important in terms of uh, where, it, uh, where it, it falls in the Exodus narrative is because Exodus chapter 16, this legislation with regard to the Sabbath, comes before the giving of the Ten Commandments. And so before actually Moses had given the Ten Commandments, which included the Fourth Commandment, before that it, uh, had been done, the people of God were still keeping the Sabbath, and they understood um, that uh, there could be regulations with regard to the Sabbath. Moses, in, Je in Exodus 16, assumes uh, knowledge of the Sabbath, and then he applies knowledge of the Sabbath to the uh, situation of the manna falling. And so, uh, the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. Secondly, uh, it is, in fact, one of the Ten Commandments. This is important because none of the other commandments are done away with. Uh, and it is even part of how we class laws. You know, there are different kinds of laws that in, in the scriptures. There's civil laws, there's cultic laws, but there's also uh, moral laws, and those are found in the, in the Ten Commandments. Uh, it is still necessary for a Christian to to not have any other gods before God, not to make any idols, not to take the Lord's name in vain, to honor their father and mother, not to kill, uh, not, uh, not to kill, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness, not to covet. And so it would be quite strange then if in the fourth commandment, the only one uh, out of the 10, if that were abrogated, it becomes even more strange in light of the fact that Sabbath observance uh, is a pre-fall creation ordinance. Uh, further beyond this, we even have in the New Testament some strange things. You know, there will be people who will say, you know, well, um, the only laws that come in uh, that are still binding on the Christian are those that are repeated uh, in the New Testament. Uh, such a view uh, ends up, I think, causing a huge uh, uh, wedge drives a huge wedge between the Old and New Testaments, and for that reason itself is problematic. Um, the The fundamental stance of a Christian should be that a law continues unless there is clear reason and evidence to see that it is uh, discontinued. Uh, the The scriptures are fundamentally one, and we need to to understand that. But even apart from that, there is this this objection that you know none of the um, you know, the, the Sabbath legislation is not repeated, and therefore it is abrogated. That's the way that it, that the argument goes. However. Uh, there are some strange things if we are to understand the Sabbath to have been uh, abolished. For instance, uh, there are instructions with regard to, at least by example, by way of example, of what Jesus does uh, on the Sabbath that seems to show what is right and what is wrong to do on the Sabbath. And so, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12, he's going through the grain fields uh, on, on the Sabbath as, with his disciples and they're hungry and they pluck the grain and he makes a point to say that, that basically that they're right to do so. Uh, because the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that would seem to be con that would seem to continue to be true. Uh, why is it that that Matthew and Mark and Luke go out of their way 
to describe what Jesus does on the Sabbath. And even John does this as well, but with uh, different stories, of course. Um, why do they? Why do these gospel writers go out of their way to describe the way in which one ought to keep the Sabbath in light of Christ's uh, example, uh, if the Sabbath were in fact uh, abrogated? Uh, and so, for these reasons, we would have to say that the the Sabbath uh, does continue, and um, even if there is not the the kind of explicit um, reaffirming of the law, we don't take it to be necessary. If if there's no sense in which Christ has fulfilled it, uh, then it, we would say that it continues. Now, there is some sense in which Christ has fulfilled parts of the Sabbath, which we'll get into uh, next time. But these, uh, I, uh, rather than diminish our obligation to keep the Sabbath, actually heighten it. So we'll we'll come to that. Uh, the other argument comes from Hebrews chapter 4, and this is where uh, the author of the Hebrews uh, draws a link between the promised rest for the people of God found in Psalm 95, and this is uh, referring back to um, the, the, the promised land as a rest, so the part of the, the promise of coming into the promised land was that you would enter into the rest of God. This was going to be the resting place for the people of God. One of the things that the, the author of the Hebrews points out in Hebrews chapter 4 is that Joshua, in fact, never gave them rest. When they came over to the promised land, they didn't actually have rest. And therefore, uh, as the author of the Hebrews argues, David in Psalm 95 speaks of yet a future rest. Uh, so he says, he, he speaks He speaks back to the, the time of the wilderness and he exhorts the people in his current day, in David's day, after the coming of Joshua, after the, the crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, he says there is yet a rest that remains for the people of God. The idea then is there is a, this connection uh, between rest and the promised land and the our eternal destiny of being with God. And one interesting thing then that the writer of the Hebrews does is he then connects that idea of rest explicitly with God's resting from all of his labors on the seventh day. So now there is this connection. The the Sabbath observance, the the Sabbath rest of the people of God uh, is connected to these promises of the future. And therefore, uh, um, the idea is is that, that the Sabbath worship of the people of God is meant to then be a connection to our rest with God in the last day and also a foretaste of uh, our communion and fellowship with God uh, on that day. Every week that when we gather together with God's people uh, on the Lord's day, we are getting a foretaste of what it means to be with God forever. It's, it's, it's like we're getting a foretaste of, uh, of the fruits of Canaan. Uh, we're getting a foretaste of the fruits of the promised land uh, before we actually cross over. And every single Lord's Day, that is what uh, that is what this is. And this is why there's this connection between uh, Genesis chapter 2, as I mentioned, uh, and Psalm uh, 95. Now, the reason this becomes then further important is because um, we still have not yet entered fully into uh, that final rest. And if we have not entered fully into that final rest and the Sabbath observance each and every week is given as a foretaste of that final rest, then it is uh, spiritually necessary for Christians uh, to observe the Sabbath. It is meant to uh, stir up your heart uh, for the joys of being with God uh, forever. There's a connection between those two things that even the New Testament does, in fact, draw. And so for all these reasons, uh, we have to say that the scriptures do, in fact, teach that the Sabbath is a continuing obligation for the Christian is the fourth commandment has not been abolished, it's not been abrogated. There are even important spiritual reasons for you to keep the Sabbath, and you uh, you neglect it to your own uh, spiritual harm. 
So hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, next time in part two, we'll, we will look at the change of day and the evidence for it according to the scriptures. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word, your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.